Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. This is the book of Revelation, session 55, the first four trumpet judgments. And so uh, tonight, we are going to look at a very changing landscape from, if you can go back in time a little bit, to when we looked at the seven seals. That's the first judgment series. Just as a little reminder, there's three primary judgment series in the book of Revelation. Seven seals, each of those is a judgment. Seven trumpets, each of those is a judgment. And seven bowls of wrath, each of those is a judgment. So it's 21 judgment events that are really intense. Well, we looked at uh, the first seven events, the seals, some weeks ago. And now we're uh, transitioning into the trumpets. And these first four trumpet judgments are intense. They are so much more intense than what we looked at when we looked at the seals. These get so difficult and so all-consuming. And so I want us to uh, take note that we are experiencing a significant upgrade uh, tonight in our conversation from studying the seals. These trumpets get intense. Now, if you can remember, when we looked at the seals, they were in chapter 6 of the book of Revelation. However, the last seal, because there's seven of them, so the seventh seal actually is at the beginning of chapter 8. And the reason that that matters is because we're going to pick up right where that seal leaves off tonight because the first trumpet starts in chapter 8, verse 6, which is the very next verse. Okay, so you've got the first six seals in chapter 6, and then you've got the last seal at the beginning of chapter 8, and the first trumpet right after that, the very next verse. So it kind of has got a a flow of events just to kind of help you catch up here. Now, I want to talk about some of the upgrades in comparison to the uh, seal judgments. I want to talk a little bit about that. One thing we want to note is the violent language. The last seal, we're supposed to connect these trumpets to that last seal. The last seal, the language read like this. This is uh, Revelation 8 verse 5. The last seal read like this. And it was hurled onto the earth. That was what happened from the altar in heaven. It was hurled to the earth. Well, look at the language now that's found in the trumpets. It's same language. It's that same kind of concept because we're supposed to understand there's a connection between what just happened at the last seal and now what's occurring in the trumpets. Uh, Number two here in part A, this is the first trumpet, Revelation 8-7, and it was hurled down upon the earth, same language. Revelation 8-8, it was thrown into the sea. Revelation 8-10, fell from the sky. Revelation 8-12, the sun was struck. These are violent words. The the violence level is increasing as we enter into the trumpet judgments from the seals. And I just want us to note that. The change of tone also is worth uh, noting. We go from natural judgments, things like war and famine and plague and those sorts of things, which were the primary marking uh, parameters of the seals. They They were terrible judgments, but they were all natural. I mean, there was a lot about it that was very... Natural process. I mean, we've heard of wars and famines. Those are things that we've heard of before. They were just with a serious uptick. But now we, we lose all sense of normality. 
We lose all sense of the, the natural order of things, and we go straight into supernatural judgments that are crazy. And they're so supernatural, pivoting just uh, you know, uh, on a dime here, we go from those natural judgments in the seals straight into supernatural crazy events in the trumpets. So I want you to note that, that as we look at the trumpets, we're not talking about supernatural crazy events. With a change of focus, at least these first five trumpet judgments they are intense, but they're not mostly focused on death, though there will be a lot of death. They're mostly focused, the language is punishment. It's punishment on the wicked of the earth. It would actually be in, in the orchestration of God's government, all of those that are going to be impacted by the trumpet judgments, it would actually be too easy for them to just all die. Instead, there's a season of judgment and of punishing those that have brought uh, wickedness into the world, that have uh, been martyring the saints, that have been shaking their fist at God, and all of those things, we're talking about serious punishment. Now, we've been looking, if you guys can kind of remember some of our previous sessions, we've been looking at all the earthquakes, all the hail and blood and smoke and fire, all the light and darkness sequence stuff. We've been looking at some trends. Well, these trends now really start to show up in the trumpet. So if you've been you know, listening to those moments as we studied those topics, you're going to now start to see them in their context here in the trumpet judgments. Okay, moving on to page two, if you're in the notes with me. Let's look at the first trumpet. What I'm going to do on each one of these is I'll read the, the verse or two related to that trumpet, and then we'll break it down. So here, uh, top of page two, Revelation 8, verse 7. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down on the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Intense. So hail, fire mixed with blood. <laughs> this is, there is nothing like this. Don't try to explain this. Don't try to explain the Red Sea parting. Don't downgrade the Red Sea parting to, you know, there was like a drought that year, so it was shallow water. Don't downgrade the Red Sea parting. The Red Sea parted. This is actual blood, actual fire mixed with hail coming out of the sky. That's what it is. Don't make it mean something else. <clears throat> that is supernatural and bizarro. I mean, to the 10th degree. That is crazy. It's God trying to make a point. This is me. I'm involved. You can't make it hail, blood, fire, hail. You can't, you can't make that happen. This is God making it clear. I'm in charge of the narrative. <clears throat> We've got a, an, an instance of this in part back in the period of the Exodus. I gave you there the verse, Exodus 9, 23. Hail and fire darted to the ground. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, it says. That is so crazy. It's crazy that it's going to happen. It might even be crazier. It's already happened once. This is a really intense deal. Of course, God adds the blood. Whose blood? I know where hail comes from. I'm not exactly sure how the fire starts in the sky. I don't know how you catch hail on fire. I don't have that part figured out, but I really don't know where the blood comes from because it's not fake blood. It's, it's blood blood, but blood comes from 
things that make blood. People and animals and stuff. So whose blood is this blood? How does this connect? I think, it seems reasonable to me, it's somehow related to the martyr's blood that we read about in uh, Revelation 6 in the, uh, I think it's the fifth seal judgment. Because they cry out, how long till our blood is avenged? And we see them there in heaven. It just seems, it seems poetic to me. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it, but it seems poetic to me that it would be their blood that's now raining down on the earth and being pelted along with fire and hail. That seems, uh, seems right to me. Ezekiel's vision. Just read this, top of page three. <clears throat> I'll execute judgment upon him. This is talking about the Antichrist and his government. I'll execute judgment upon him with plague and bloodshed. I will pour down torrents of rain, hailstones, and burning sulfur. I will pour down stones and burning sulfur from heaven. It's just intense. A third of the earth. I don't know if you noticed that, but there in Revelation 8, 7, it says a third of the earth, a third of the trees, a third of the, uh, let's see, third of the earth, a third of the trees. Yeah. Uh, it's really clear a third. God's not, you know, kind of like making up funny terms or, you know, it's going to be like a lot. No, it's going to be a third. And if you got out a measuring stick, if you were somehow able to measure the earth, you'd find out, I'll be darned, it was a third. Not a fourth, not a ninth, a third, because that's what the Word says. And we just, we need to get more comfortable taking the Bible seriously. Like literally, like it says, all who believe on the Lord will be saved. Well, what does that mean? All who believe on the Lord will be saved. I mean, it's really simple stuff. It just is so crazy when we read the Red Sea parted, and then all of us struggle with faith to believe the Bible. But the same Bible that told you if you believe in Jesus gets you saved is the same Bible that said it's going to rain blood. Deal with it. It's going to rain blood. So it's going to be a third of the earth. It's just, it's really simple. <clears throat> well, it says a third. Now, what third? I gave you a few different options of how that third could go. Is it a third of all regions? Is it a whole section of the earth equaling a third? You know, like Asia? Asia would be a third if it was just Asia. Or is it, you know, like giant segments, like, you know, different big chunks? I personally think that it's going to be a third of most regions. And maybe this region, it's a little bit more than a third, and that region, it's a little less than a third. But I think that the picture of what we're seeing here especially related to the next uh, phrase we're going to look at, I think that the picture that we're seeing here is not this will only impact Asia equaling one-third of the earth and then everything else is not touched. I don't think it's communicating that. I think the planet is experiencing this. And part of the reason I feel confident that that's the right interpretation is it says all the green grass. It's really interesting. A third of this, a third of this, but all the green grass, all the green grass. And some would say, well, green grass... You know, warm climates, it's just wherever it's, it's warm at that time, wherever it's summer months or warmer months. Yeah, but the problem is there's grass that's green in people's yards right now and it's 36 degrees outside because you've got different kinds of grass. It says all the green grass. God is actually after the grass. I mean, grass adds so much to life, not just the beauty of it, but the oxygen of it. You know what I mean? When you've got grass growing... There's a lot of good things that happen as a result of that. God is targeting all the green grass. Now, in order to get all the green grass, you have to touch all the regions of the earth. 
And so that's why I'm thinking this burned up a third of the earth. It's not Asia only and all the other two-thirds of the earth is fine. I think this is going to affect every town, place, zip code on the planet at some level. Okay? The global effects of the first trumpet. Smoke. Lots and lots of smoke that nobody wants. Smell. The presence of that smoke is going to linger for a long time when a third of the earth... Can you imagine one-third of the planet being on fire simultaneously? That is just crazy. And that will be the case. Darkness. You know, all that smoke from the fire is going to blot out the sun in some places for some periods of time. There's going to be darkness. And it's going to stink. And it's going to be ominous. You know, night shows up in horror movies sometimes. But fog and smoke, man, that just is like next level scary when that shows up. It's ominous. A, a whole scene, a whole earth filled with smoke. You know, I just have a, a thought. If the satellites are still working, I kind of want a picture from outer space of planet Earth when a third of it has been burned up and all the green grass has been burned up. You know, normally we know what that marble looks like. Earth in space, green and blue, it's going to be like mostly brown and blue for a minute until the waters all turn to blood, and then you're not talking about blue water anymore. You're talking about, then you're going to have brown and red. What a, what a Mars-looking planet here in a minute, okay? All right. So there's going to be some intense things, spread of fire, loss of resources, oxygen levels. You know, when a third of the earth is burnt up, all the green grass, a third of the trees... There's going to be oxygen issues. You know, all that green stuff is making life on earth habitable. <laughs> well, when lots and lots and lots of it are all of a sudden gone and in its place is smoke, this is a dire time. This is intense. Let's go to the second trumpet as if we needed any more judgment. The second angel sounded his trumpet and something like a huge mountain. You just imagine John going, I saw it. I don't know how to describe it. It was something like a huge mountain. All ablaze was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea turned to blood. And a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. Something like a huge mountain. I don't know that it has to be this, but I'm just imagining a giant comet the size of Mount Everest. And if it's not the size of Mount Everest, half that size, fine. It's still enormous. If it's not a comet, fine. It's something like a huge mountain coming from outer space, bursting through the atmosphere on fire. Sounds like a comet to me. Call it whatever you want. We don't know what shape it is. We just know John goes, I just saw something come through the atmosphere. There was like a giant mountain on fire. So whatever that is, again, comet seems reasonable to me. He describes it as like a huge mountain, not even just a mountain. He says huge mountain. I think that's important because it really matters if, you know, if an angel or God, some, you know, two solar systems away, just winds up and throws a molehill. That's going to hit the earth and have this level of impact. But if that same scenario, he winds up and throws the pitch, and now you're talking about Mount Everest, hitting the planet from outer space into the ocean because that's what it says is going to happen, this is way worse. This causes much more devastation than whatever hill we've got in Texas. 
It says something like a huge mountain all ablaze. That is very problematic. That is going to be the most devastating impact event in the history of humanity. That is intense. Just as a little point of reference so that we can understand the impact, it doesn't hit land, it hits water, which to me is worse. Because that amount of water is now going to be displaced. We call those tsunamis. Okay? Just as a little point of reference, if it's a huge mountain, and, and let's look at Mount Everest or something big, don't, but don't think little mountain. Think huge mountain. If it's something like a huge mountain, the average depth of the ocean, I'm not talking about the deepest points. I'm talking about the average depth. If you throw a huge mountain into that, it still towers over the surface of the water. So now, just imagine what this is going to do when you throw a giant mountain into the ocean, but it doesn't just go boop and disappear. It hits the earth through the water. Now it's gone, and, but it's still over the water. And now it's sending tidal waves in every single direction. That is so intense. This is a real problem. There will be such a wake coming forth from that. You want to be thinking tsunamis and an earthquake of some. If it's not an earthquake, what do you call it when a giant thing hits a thing? I mean, it's like whatever that, I mean, it's not nothing. The earth's going to shake when that thing hits. It's going to, it might even knock the earth a little bit out of whack from its normal trajectory. I mean, this is, this is a really big thing hitting the earth, okay? Turns the sea to blood. A third of the waters turned to blood. Not red, not algae, blood. It's God doing this, and he's making a statement. He said, you've been martyring my saints. I'm going to now turn your waters to blood. You're going to have to deal with this. And again, it seems right to me. This thing is being hurled to our earth from someplace far away. It seems to me that when this moment happens, it turns everything to blood. Maybe a big piece of this comet is blood. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. One way or the other, when it hits the water, a third of the waters turn to blood. Okay? Now, the destruction of a third of the ships, it says. Just to give you an idea, let me just paint a little picture for you. Imagine this thing hits the Pacific Ocean right in the middle. I would imagine, I haven't done the math. I would imagine the Pacific Ocean, because it's a big one, I would imagine the Pacific Ocean makes up for one-third of the Earth's ships. I would just guess. If you throw this huge mountain into the Pacific and it causes a tidal wave that winds up hitting all the land masses around it, whatever ships were in that water just became projectiles into the inland. They just now became... I mean, imagine an aircraft carrier launching 300 you know, feet up in the air into Corpus Christi. Like... <laughs> And, and inland, even more. Like, that's what we're talking about here. A third of the ships are being destroyed. Is it related to the tsunami or not? It seems reasonable to me that it is, but it doesn't say that plainly. It just says a third of the ships are destroyed. But boy, howdy, if you throw that big mountain into the sea, you're going to have a bunch of ships destroyed. I mean, just the ones that were under it. You know, I mean, this is going to be a real problem. Well, there's going to be a twofold death to sea life because it says simultaneously that when this mountain is thrown into the water, a third of the waters turn to blood, fishes 
can't live in blood. And sharks can't, and whales can't, and nothing can. Nothing lives in blood. Things die in blood. Blood's supposed to stay on the inside of your body, not be something you swim in. Now, an even grosser thought, but I think it seems reasonable, if the waters turn to blood at impact, you now don't have a tsunami of water. You have a tsunami of blood. And that tsunami of blood carrying whales and ships is now hitting the coastlands and islands. And now you've got blue whales being thrown a a mile inland up in the air in a blood tidal wave. Guys, this is going to happen. I'm telling you, this is like we need to review these ideas so that we're not so turned off by them that we can't talk about them. This is your Bible. This is what says it's going to happen. And while I might be putting some details together, I don't think any of you could look at me and go, that's impossible based off of those verses. I think all of you go, what? i got to at least say it's possible, if not probable. I mean, these are, these are connected ideas that the Word is helping, is giving us so that we can understand these things ahead of time. The global impact, the smell of all that blood, that is going to be so disgusting. All the travel that's going to be gone from all those vessels that are destroyed. No more boats and shipping containers across the sea. At least not wherever that is. The nations, they're all going to lose their navies, at least all those that are in the impact zone. It says a third of the ships. So a third of the navies or a a third of all navies or some version of a third of the ships. The water supply for those that use desalination, Is that desaltination, desalination, desalination? Uh, In order to get the salt out of the water to drink the water. There are lots of nations that rely on that process in order to produce fresh water for their people to drink. You, you You don't get water out of blood. You get water out of salt water. So their machines are gonna be broke. You can't get water out of blood. But that's how they were giving all their people fresh water disease as the result of all the dead sea creatures laying around in blood on the ground. The world's food supply crippled. Think about how many people eat fish and all the stuff. Well, they're all dead. You can't eat them because they died in blood. I gave you a bunch more there. I just encourage you afterwards, go and read some more of the impacts of that second uh, trumpet. Let's read the third. The third angel sounded his trumpet and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and a third of the springs of water. And the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the, of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. Now, I want you to check that. It says a third of the rivers and the springs of water. We're talking about fresh water. One third of fresh water. Now, this is right after the, the salt water that they're trying to turn into fresh water was hit. Now, a third of the rivers and a third of the springs, that's the fresh water. That's how we keep people alive and keep our animals alive and get clean. A third of the water just became bitter. And it says the people that drank it died from drinking it. So it's, no long, it's not just bitter like, ew, Pantigo water. I mean, it's like, it's bitter. It's like, it'll cause you to die. So you can't drink the water on a third of the rivers and the springs and Let me tell you what I think it's connected to. It says something like a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky. Here's what I think is going on. 
some version of another kind of a comet or something, some space item, something, that when it explodes in the atmosphere, it causes fine dust particles. That those dust particles are going to fall and, and the air currents and all the, all the you know, high currents up in the sky and all this, because it says it hits the atmosphere. When it breaks apart, those wind currents are going to bring that dust everywhere, and it's going to impact a third of the Earth's uh, rivers and springs to the point where that river that we were drinking out of yesterday, you can't drink that water anymore, and neither that spring. That's a real problem. We saw the bitter waters of Mara during the Exodus. We saw that the Lord has the ability to fix bitter waters. So you better believe I'm praying and believing this Bible verse for the time that comes when we're going to need Wawa and all the Wawa is going to be dirty. We're going to go, Lord, fix the Wawa. And, he's going to, and we're going to quote this Bible verse. We're saying the name of Jesus and we're going to have bitter waters turn sweet for us. There's going to be a lot of people that don't know that Bible verse and a lot of people that don't know that Jesus. And they're not going to be so lucky. Many people dying from the waters, meaning they're so desperate they drink it anyway. You know, if, I mean, if anybody's paying attention and you realize, oh man, that guy just drank that water. Don't drink that water because he died. Then everybody goes, oh, that's bad water. But people just keep drinking it because <laughs> there's no option. It's like, well, that one guy didn't die. One out of 13, I'm making up the numbers. Maybe I'll be that guy that doesn't die because there's no other water because all the water's gone. Gave you a bunch of global effects there. It's going to impact food shortages, shortages, not just water because food Everything food, there was water in its background somewhere. <laughs> Whether it got, if it grew or it drank it or it cl you cleaned it off, some version of if you can eat it, there was water connected to its life cycle at some point. But all the water's gone. Fourth trumpet. Let's look at this one. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet. A third of the sun was struck. A third of the moon was struck. That's the idea. And a third of the stars were struck, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Skits into that whole light and darkness sequence thing, but just look here at the Joel 2 verse. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It's close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. It's going to be like a lot of really intense things connected to this. Now, this one, you might look at it at first and go, okay, I'm not real sure why this is so bad other than it's scary. Because it's going to be scary. I mean, for those who do not know the Lord and are not walking in the peace of God, that is going to be the scariest thing. When all this craziness happens in the cosmos in a way that is totally unprecedented. But it's going to have some pretty significant impact. It says a third of the day is without light and also a third of the night. Now, I don't exactly know. I'm not smart enough to, you know, know all the physics of this. But somehow what's occurring causes a third of the day to no longer be day. It's now night. And it's dark night. And a third of the night that, in, you know, we're used to a third of the night, moon and stars. A third of the night, no moon and stars anymore. So a third of the night is bizarre and pitch dark. 
And a third of the day is also bizarre and dark. That's a real problem. That's, this breaks all normality of life. And when this happens, there's going to be some major side effects as a result. So just a couple of the global effects, altered tides. When the, when the moon is struck, that messes with the tides. That's going to do weird things to the water in ways that I, I just am certain somebody who's studying tides at that point in time is going to look at the effects of that and go, oh, this is really, really bad. These waters are now doing these things instead of these things. And let me tell you what one of those bad things is. A third of the ocean is blood at this point. So now if the currents suddenly change... Now that causes even more problems and blood and impact. I mean, that's, this is really bad. Also, there's going to be global cold fronts. You know, part of the reason that the planet works the way that it works is the sun warms it. Even in the winter, the sun is warming the planet. Well, if you take away a third of every day and that sun is no longer warming the planet, the planet, because remember, it's not something weird happens in our atmosphere. It says the sun itself was struck by God. Struck. So one-third of the days are not getting the warmth of the sun. Day after day after day. You're going to have really interesting weather patterns, but you're also going to have global cooling. You're going to have an, an adverse problem when the sun that's, or the, the earth that's rotating and it's used to being warmed by that, you know, uh, fast food uh, heat lamp. And it's a, it's a little warm thing. Just keep turning, turning, getting warmed up by the sun. Now a third of it, it's not warming. A third of it, it's not sunning. This is going to cause drastic climate change. I mean, places that are cold are now going to be really cold. Tropical places? Tell you what, our friends in California are going to start having problems. It's not going to just be warm and sunshine all the time. There's going to be really interesting problems in the earth. And then also a loss of solar energy seems to be the least of our worries at that point. But, I mean, if you're talking about solar panels used to, you know, 10 hours a day of sun or 13 or 15 hours, whatever the days are, you know, it varies place to place. You've now got a third of that less. That's, here's my point with all this is we're about to break up into groups. I think the trumpet judgments require thought, dialogue, and, and postulating. I think, you, I think the trumpets require us to go, if this, then what? Because if you just read them, it's just four verses <laughs> or five. I mean, it's just da 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 It's like, are we reading the details here? So I think in order to have any understanding of these trumpet judgments, you've got to slow down and look at the details and go, when that happens, what is that going to do to our planet? <laughs> what is that going to do to water? What is that going to do to people? What is that gonna... There's going to be ramifications of these decisions. Okay, so, so I'm, I'm supposed to answer the following question. Which one would I pick of the following three? And I've got to do one. Invest in solar, buy a catfish farm, or try to get Revelation 8 written into my homeowner's insurance policy. 
All right. My dad bought a catfish farm, and we went bankrupt. <laughs> so we've done that. The Stroops, for all generations, never need to buy another catfish farm. So that one's done. Okay? <laughs> uh, second, solar panels. I don't like them. I don't like the way they look. I don't like the way they mess up my stuff. Plus, I'm not going to put my trust in that solar panel. It's not going to work anyway for half the time. So I am calling Nationwide. And I'm going to ask them about Revelation 8 and see what it's going to charge me to upgrade my insurance policy to get Revelation 8 uh, issues written into it. Amen. That's my answer. All right. So all these natural food sources are depleted uh, because of these judgments. (coughs) The judgments aren't even over yet. Uh, How is God going to supply for Christians? He will. The, The greater works than these, John 14, 12... You know, you don't need a miracle till you have a problem. You don't need a Red Sea to part until you're about to all die because there's a bunch of bad guys about to kill you. That's when you need a Red Sea to part. So you don't actually need the greater works than these reality unless you have greater problems than these reality. And so the world is going to be greater problems than these. And it's going to be the time for the church to be operating as a priesthood, a royal priesthood that knows how to go, oh, God, help, and then watch God help, that's got a history in prayer and worship and things that right now, I think the church, by and large, and our maturity process to Revelation 19, when it says the bride has made herself ready, she's spotless, right now we got to be out of one on our way to 100. By the time we're at 87... We're going to know how to pray and prophesy and see, you know, bees bring us honey, birds bring us food, fish jump out of the water. I mean, we're going to know how to do stuff that we don't know right now. We don't know how to do, and we don't really even need to at this level at this point. So there's going to be provision. The whole point, I mean, I want to say this so clearly because I, I believe what I'm about to say. The greatest point in God's heart. It wasn't his only. He was accomplishing a thousand things. I believe the greatest point of daily manna for 40 years in the desert was to prove to the end time church he knows how to feed his people when there's no food. I think it's the greatest point of the manna. It's not the only. There's, he was accomplishing everything you're thinking. Yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about this? You're right. But I think the greatest point was actually to answer this question. I think it was to prepare the church to go, when we need it, he will provide for us. He knows how to do this. He fed millions of people and animals and all that in the desert for 40 years. He will feed us during that time. And it will probably be much like it was in the Exodus. And that is the prophets are hearing the word of the Lord and they're declaring it. Maybe it's manna again. Maybe it's different forms of food. Maybe it's partnership. Maybe it's finding certain things. Maybe it's multiplication of food and the loaves and the fishes and the this is and the that's. But one way or the other, the Lord will supply for his people. And we have a 40-year proof in the desert wilderness of millions of people being provided supernatural bread every day. Well, six and then twice as much on that day for the other one. But they've got food seven days a week. For That is the most... To me, that is the greatest miracle in the whole Bible because it lasted for 40 years. Uh, just, I, can't, 
I cannot imagine. If you stacked up, if it wouldn't have depleted and they wouldn't have eaten it, if you could stack up all that bread, it, it would probably go to the moon. I mean, it's like, how much bread was that for them to have eaten? So to me, that's the greatest miracle, in my opinion, in the Bible. And it's because the amount of it and the duration of it, and it started when he said it would start, and it stopped when he said it would stop, it, and, it, it, and it actually took off the seventh day every week. That's just, that, it's crazy to me, the greatest point of manna in the desert for 40 years was actually to prove to the end time church, I will feed you. To me. So, great question. Yeah. So, uh, the question is about the second trumpet related to the mountain. It's on fire before it goes in the sea. Then it goes in the sea. Does it stop being on fire? I believe, actually, there's some element of, we've already seen in the first trumpet, the concept of blood hail and fire being connected, I think this is a giant version of it. I think it's the tracer. I think, I think this is actually a giant blood hail ball that's on fire. And I think the fire is melting the blood into the water. I think that that's part of what's occurring. I don't, I'm not going to prove that to you. I can't. That's just my musing. Uh, but Whatever happens, you know, if you've ever thrown a rock that's brittle enough that you throw it up against a brick wall and it, I don't mean completely deteriorates, but like chunks of it fly off. Well, imagine that happening related to there being pieces of this rock, this giant huge mountain thing, that it's hurled to the earth and then it's on fire and pieces fly off. Plus, remember, if it's a huge mountain, when it hits the water, the top of it's still above the water. So that could still be very much on fire. And if you just think about throwing a, a big rock into a shallow puddle, when you throw that rock in, it's very possible that a significant portion of the top of that rock, depending on the trajectory, didn't ever get wet because it displaced water in every direction out. So it's possible the thing could still be on fire, if that's the, the question. So great question. These are, by the way, these kinds of questions... They're like the point. It's to get us thinking critically, you know, what does, what's going to happen when that happens? Like, we've, given, we've been given these Bible verses so that we can reference the Exodus, so that we can reference the miracles of Jesus, so that we can look at the context and try to understand greater instead of just read the verses and go, man, it's going to be dirty, bad, move on. Show me chapter 10. Let's get on to some forerunners or something. I am so glad you asked about Mars. Thank you for that question. So in future, uh, people are going to be traveling more at space station and, and maybe to Mars. I overheard their conversation earlier. I just wanted that question. I'll probably throw in something on it. Okay. What's going to happen? I can, well, okay, so I will just, because I'm just dying on that one. If it happens that we colonize Mars before these seals, trumpets, and bulls, which doesn't seem unrealistic. I mean, it seems like somebody's going to go there at some point, you know? Um, if that happens, the question is, do all, I mean, the question I'm making up for myself is, is, is uh, uh, you know, do the seals, trumpets, and bulls hits, hit Mars? I don't think so, and here's why. All the judgments are tied to the earth, and there's a reason for that. God made the earth unique, and man has sinned like crazy. It says creation, the planet, is mad at people, and it is groaning, and God is bringing judgment not just to the human race, but to the human race on planet Earth for what they've done to planet Earth. When God comes back, he has to cleanse the Earth. 
because man messed it up. And it's all this, you think about how long it's taken for God to judge the earth. So if we get people on Mars, I don't think Mars is ripe for judgment for a minute. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think we have to really mess up Mars good and long and go deep in sin and like figure out all the, I think the greatest point of judgment in this hour is the shedding of human blood, whether in the womb or outside of the womb. And there is so much murder. People killing image bearers of God. That's what murder is, is killing someone created in God's image, whether in the womb or out of the womb, war, whatever, killing. There is so much bloodshed for which the judgments are coming to bring justice. And so I honestly think Mars is not near ripe for judgment and would take a good long while. And I think, well, I'll leave it at that. So I, I honestly think if there's colonies on Mars that make, I think they'd be part of the group that makes it. Honestly. All right, so if, be on the first trip to Mars. I mean, go, go to Mars because all the judgments, I'll just, I mean, all the judgments are tied to the earth. And if we're going to take the Bible seriously, it says earth, 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 earth. And so, honestly, there might be something to that. So, okay. Now, did you guys have a question I was supposed to answer? Okay, good. Okay, good, good, good. Okay, good. I got to answer the question I wanted to answer. So, um, and and I'll I'll end with this. I could be wrong about that. I'm not going to be dogmatic about that point. But that seems reasonable to me for the reasons I gave and some others. And I will say this. When you're uh, talking about the Bible... Your opinion without references to the Bible should not be voiced. Don't have one. Don't, I mean, I mean, if you got a microphone or a group of people are listening, like, don't, I think this, I, who cares what you think? Who cares what I think if there's not Bible backing it? So let's not come up with ideas. Let's come up with Bible-informed ideas, okay? So I've heard so many people argue, especially end times points, with zero Bible. And they're just like, no, that's not, that couldn't be God because I don't, I don't like that. I don't think that way because I don't want it that way. None of that matters. None of it. So I would encourage you, whatever differing ideas you have about any of the stuff that we talk about, have Bible being your foundation for your disagreement, not human sentiment or what you grew up learning or what the church back home says. None of that matters. None of that counts. The Bible is what counts. So whatever ideas we have theologically and whatever disagreements we want to have with other theological positions, let's only have them if we can have a conversation including Bible. And if we can't, then just let the other person be right until you know a little bit more of the Bible and you can refute it. Let's, let's not just come up with our own ideas. That's going to get uh, the church in so much trouble and so much distraction is already happening. We want to be people that are based in the word and who know how to talk about ideas that we disagree with from the Bible and not from our soulishness. It, it is wholly unhelpful to disagree with Bible-presented ideas with soulish-presented ideas. It just it happens so much, and, and people are just like, yeah, high-five you for having a different opinion. No, boo on your different opinion if it's not founded in the Bible. Boo on your opinion. Not, congratulations, you had a good idea. That doesn't matter at all. And I want you to, I want you to hold me to that. You know, these ideas that I'm coming up with, I mean, if, I'm, if I don't preface it with, I don't, I don't really think there's anything that says anything about that, but here's just an idea. 
I mean, give me a little wiggle room on that if I really hedge myself in. Like, it's, this is totally me making stuff up. But, but other than that, like, hold me to the fact that my answers need to be based off of Bible verses, biblical ideas, biblical history, not just human history. Like, that's, this is the Word of God, and we hold to it. So. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.